With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Green Life Group, keeping your sports turf in top condition at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. It is another historic night for Novak Djokovic. He is the champion for a record seventh time. Overall, another phenomenal performance, phenomenal achievement from a phenomenal athlete. What a year he's had. And an emotional evening with his family too. Thank you for following us throughout this uh, very long season. For me, obviously, very successful, one of the most successful seasons I ever had in my, in my career. Uh, and I would like to thank uh, yeah, all, of, all of the people that are part of our sport, part of our ecosystem. You know, it's a, it's a great effort to, to make this happen. We have the longest season of all sports from January to almost December. A lot of tournaments, uh, it's played around the world. So it's amazing to see this many people who are coming from around the world coming to support tennis and we are just blessed to be to be part of this wonderful sport so thank you very much once again and hopefully see you next year there he is uh, Novak Djokovic he can do uh, no wrong he's won four of the five biggest trophies in the sport this year three majors and the season ending ATP World Tour Finals. He beats Yannick Sinner, the star young Italian, is on the rise, coached by Darren Cale. He's four in the world. He's a serious player this year, but just didn't, uh, wasn't allowed to play at his best today by Djokovic. 6 3 6 3. Djokovic beats Carlos Elcaraz in the semi finals, 6 3 6 2. Got through the round robin phase, and he is the best in the world. At 36 years of age and showing no signs of uh, slowing down next year, the focus on the majors, the masters, and, of course, the uh, the Paris Olympics. So Novak Djokovic, the uh, champion of uh, Turin, which is a bit to just quickly cram in before 10 o'clock. First serve after uh, 10 tonight, our college segment and our podcast library will be on uh, full display. But I did uh, promise the CEO of Tennis Victoria a chat tonight. His name's uh, Adam Cramery. We were at Kooyong on the weekend for the Tennis Victoria Premier League Finals. Great tennis. Adam, really appreciate you hanging in there on AFL Draft Night, which went a little longer than we expected. No, thanks for having me tonight, Brett. Uh, look forward to having a bit of a chat. So, uh, good day down at Kooyong. We had the inaugural sort of Tennis Victoria uh, Player Awards through the state grade and Premier League uh, seasons, some life membership uh, being recognised as well, the great Warren Ma, who's uh, everyone knows in tennis. But to the action on the court in the men's division, uh, MCC, of course, went through the regular season undefeated. We're joined by Grace Park Hawthorne. What a performance by Grace Park, a young man by the name of James Watt, the Kiwi, who went down the college path, has come to Melbourne, gone to Grace Park, said, I like this club, this will be my home. Little handful of ITF tournaments. He was serving like John Isner. Adam on the weekend. I'm really keen to see what he can do with a full year on the tour. So Grace Park upstage MCC, but the girls led by Jamie Foolis uh, from MCC, Glen Iris, too good for Hume. But it was great tennis and a great exhibition on the weekend. It was, Brett. It was uh, it was fantastic tennis. And as you say, Grace Park in the men's, a um, bit of an upset given, uh, given MCC's form and how they went through the regular season. And uh, MCC and the women's were, were very strong. And the pairing of uh, Alana Parnaby and Zoe Hives in the doubles as well um, really set the scene for, for Jamie then to take out the, the women's single for them to take the title. But look, we're, we're as an organisation, thrilled to continue to be able to deliver Tennis Victoria Premier League. And the players really love that team camaraderie and playing together, which is something that we focus on a lot as an organisation, how we provide opportunity for team tennis. 
there's uh, there's a lot of the year where these players are, are grinding it out on the tour right around the world. So to be able to provide the opportunity for them to come together and play in a, a team environment, something that they really appreciate. It's hard to find weeks in the calendar, isn't it, Adam? Uh, you know, it's jam-packed internationally and obviously with our own Australian Pro Tour here at the back end of the year. I mean, what, what does your team take away? Is that window sort of, is it the right amount of time? I mean, I imagine you probably maybe like a few extra days and then going yeah. to going, going to going to Kuyong for the first time uh, was a, a new experiment. We've been at the NTC the last couple of years. What was sort of part of the the debrief? Yeah, look, we we, we had a bit of a chat um, this morning, Brett, as a team, and and that conversation also needs to happen with Tennis Australia as well. Knowing we do have a finite window to fit the the competition and the season in. In previous in previous years, we've been able to run it over four weekends. But as more and more events have come in for the players that are returning from around the globe to play in a lot of the Pro Tour and Challenger events that are often um, offered here, it's something that we're we're working with Tennis Australia to find the right window and the right opportunity for our players and. A number of our, our athletes, we're looking at the pathway, both for Victorian athletes, but also those um, national athletes that are participating on the tour. So it's trying to find the right balance. Introducing state grade back to Tennis Victoria Pennant this year was, was great in terms of the pathway and that elite level of competition. This is then the, the next level above state grade where a number of the state grade players that, that did play this year also played in Premier League, but we're also catering for those players that are playing on the tour around the globe. Indeed. Adam, I would love a longer chat. It's just that time is on the wing and it's live radio for you tonight. Let's do it again. I know you are uh, stepping away uh, after a great time at Tennis Victoria in January and uh, you've covered some miles, been very passionate about the sport. Uh, let's reconvene and have a proper chat before you do uh, depart. But uh, I, I thank you for staying up for us tonight. No worries at all, Bert. Appreciate the time and all that you do for the sport as well. Thanks for the weekend and your involvement. Pleasure, mate. Adam Cramery, the CEO of Tennis Victoria. We will have a, a longer chat. I need to give a quick plug to the Raphael Nadal Academy, which is uh, having a number of clinics around Australia. So Sydney, uh, the next couple of days in Melbourne at uh, Power Tennis in Roville. Uh, of course, uh, November 23 and 24 in Brisbane, November 25, Adelaide, uh, November 26. Lead instructor is Joel Figueres, Tennis Coaching Director at the Rafael Nadal Academy. So there are adult sessions run during the day. Uh, the juniors run in the afternoon. If you're interested to join, info at educate uh, tennis slash rafanadalacademy.es is the email address, and you can uh, get down there. Adult spots available. Uh, might be a little tight in the the juniors. There's been some good numbers. My man, JP Smith, has done well. Uh, thank you, Marty, off the text. Yeah, eighth final for JP for the year. He's about 70-odd in the rankings. Lost the first six. He's won the last two. 35 he'll turn during the Australian Open, and he's carved out a pretty good uh, career. Uh, how does the Challenger finalist prize money work? Uh, I'll just have to dig out. I think uh, the prize money for him and Sem Verbeek was about a couple of grand, two and a half grand. It's not a lot, but, you know, the, the Challenger money has got better uh, this year. And, you know, look, if you're around, you know, if you're 78 in doubles and you're just playing doubles, I mean, you're not you're not earning a, a stack of money, but you, you're certainly above uh, the bread line. Uh, there's no uh, doubt about that. Uh, one uh, winner... Uh, on the weekend, Lawrence Skiglitano and Thomas Paklovich Smith, 6764108, they won the 15K in Boca Raton in Florida. Close friends at Lawrence of uh, Bob and Mike Bryan. He's known them since he was 17 when they helped him uh, get into tennis. They were uh, busy on social media across uh, the weekend. Uh, James Duckworth, uh, runner up. So Ducks will go, that was in Drummondville in Canada. So he'll go to Japan the next two weeks trying to get inside the top 100 and become the 10th Australian man heading into the Australian summer. So looking to finish uh, the season uh, really, really strong. But yeah, Tennis Victoria Premier League, the finals were brilliant on the weekend. This young man, James Watt, I am fascinated to see what he can do. His level of tennis for a big guy at, uh, what, about 200 centimetres, serving absolute thunderbolts and a good clean game off the ground. Good mover, good lateral mover. He's ranking just outside the top 1,000. Little exposure to the tour. Uh, but he he can certainly uh, he can certainly make it uh, from what I uh, saw. So we just try to cram a couple of things in there after ten o'clock. Our college segment with Lachlan Pule. 
We're going to bring you a bit of the Push podcast and the Aussies only podcast that we have as part of our podcast library at the first serve. A couple of extended chats, which were terrific to listen into over uh, the uh, last week. So apologies that we've come on a little bit later. That's live radio. The AFL draft took uh, precedence. But, uh, of course, next week we'll be back in our regular time slot, uh, three-hour edition to uh, sign us off for uh, 2023, our final show for the year. Good luck to the Aussies in the Davis Cup this week, 2 a.m. Thursday morning on Channel 9. We'll play the Czech Republic. Let's hope Leighton the boys can extend the journey. More coming up after the break. Great to have your company on this uh, Monday night. Brett Phillips in the chair for the first serve, your home of tennis. On a little bit later uh, tonight, if you're just turning on the radio with the AFL draft, uh, of course, preceding us. So a nine o'clock start for the first serve Eastern tonight. We're into our uh, second hour. We're going to bring up our college segment in just a moment with uh, Lachlan Puel. Tonight we're going to uh, go into, we've got an opportunity tonight to go into our podcast library. We do have, uh, apart from this show, of course, a whole stack of tennis podcasts, theme podcasts. You can pick and choose what you like to listen to. And we wanted to showcase a little bit of that uh, tonight, so we'll do that in the uh, second hour. Uh, thank you for all your texts. The 40 Winks uh, Temper text, 0433981116. And, of course, the Harcourt's open line tonight, 1300 736 736. Our second last show of the year. We'll be uh, back at our regular time, 8 o'clock Eastern, next uh, Monday to round it all out with Australia, of course, this week competing in the Davis Cup Finals. We'll have a little break in December. We'll fire up in January, of course, with our normal coverage right across the SEN radio network of the Australian Open. And then we'll return with this show, of course, on the last Monday in January, the 29th, to go into our 16th year here on the first serve. Well, our college segment is certainly very popular. Lachlan Peel does a great job taking us inside the college scene. And He's always got a good guest to listen in to. So, Lockie, I'm going to hand over the reins to kick off this hour, and uh, I'm curious to find out who's with you. Thanks, Brett. We have a very special guest on our college segment tonight. Johnny Parks is originally from the UK. He's the associate head coach and strength and conditioning coach for the men's team at the University of South Carolina. Now, we also have spoken to others involved at South Carolina. Of course, uh, Josh Goffey, the head men's coach, came on our college segment earlier in the year to discuss the role that college has in developing athletes as a stepping stone onto the ATP and WTA tour. Casey Hall, he's from Brisbane, uh, is in his junior year at South Carolina. He's been on our Play USA podcast and our college segment, really giving his insights into his journey going down the college pathway. So this is the first time that we've had a strength and conditioning coach on our college segment. What's really special about Johnny is that he's a tennis coach as well. So Going to practice, he first-handedly sees strengths, weaknesses, what can he improve on the court and in the gym as well. So this is our chat with Johnny Parks, the associate head coach and strength and conditioning coach, the men's team at the University of South Carolina. I think, first of all, when a freshman comes in, you've got to really identify where they're at. So many athletes are going to come in at different stages. Some have had exposure to the weight room. Some have had no exposure to the weight room. Some have a big endurance base, strength base, not very good. Some are very fast, you know, some are very immobile, like don't have a lot of mobility in their joints. So really it's identifying where they're at when they come in. And from there, it's it's starting to round the program specifically to them. So from our standpoint, generally, you know, if I, again, from a general standpoint where the freshman comes in, you, you're building out their strength foundation, their endurance, their work capacity foundation, um, and then you're getting them to understand their bodies a bit more. So mobility through the what I call the you know the big four joints, the shoulder, T-spine, hips, ankles, those, those things. You know, we do a lot of teaching around mobility and how to integrate it into warm-ups, cool downs, how to do standalone sessions, creating importance around it because that's that's going to link to their freedom of movement on the court. If they're super tight in some areas, they, they can be fast and they can be strong, but they they might still creep in these these little injuries because they're not very mobile in how their external hip rotation, you know, if their ankle dorsiflexion, plantar flexion isn't very good, then you know that's going to affect how how low that they can get down and stay down throughout the course of a three hour match. Um, which obviously tennis, you're predominantly kind of staying down in, in in somewhat loaded positions generally when they start off there that that's where we're seeing where they're at it's that blend of the the overall physical development but also the efficiency of how they move on the court by the time they leave you hope they've got them to a point where they have enough 
strength because I think in tennis there is a, you get to a point where there is enough strength you don't have to keep plowing on the way there is enough strength that you can compete at the highest levels but you would hope that then they're a very adaptable robust athlete that is pretty strong pretty explosive pretty fast has the endurance so that there's no physical limitations that they have during any match that they play uh, and that's really the goal is to give them zero physical limitations so if they lose a tennis match it wasn't because of the physical um, it was generally because of the tactical, something broke down or didn't take advantage of uh, a shot in a pressure moment, whatever it may be. So that's really the goal. And, you know, what I like to develop out, help these players understand through the physical development realm is their identity. So I know we've had coach Josh Goffey, who's the head coach here. He's very big on game style, very big on understanding our competitive identities. Well, I'm very big at helping players understand how their physical attributes strengthen their game style and strengthen their identity and it becomes part of their identity and so uh, yeah through that lens that's how i like to look at the physical development the strength conditioning you have to have the foundation everyone has to have the foundation but then how you create it become more specific and individualized because it links to their identity there and their individual attributes their size there and everything that comes with it and how they play the game as the associate uh, men's assistant coach obviously if you take a, a movement analysis of all players on the team obviously there's parts of their game that they could work on but from a physical standpoint as well so are there certain tests that you utilize to see sort of what biomotor abilities and what pillars that they really need to improve on to take their game up to the next physical level Yes, there's definitely a battery of testings that I like to do that cover their overall endurance base. You know, whether you you do a VO2 max test. For me, I do a distance test, uh, how far you can run in six minutes. That kind of gives me like what their aerobic speed is at. I like to test their straight linear speed to see where their sort of max sprint speed is at. And it's based around this concept called the anaerobic speed reserve. And ultimately what you're doing there is just kind of weighing up the type of profile that they are as an athlete are they are they more sit in the endurance end the speed end or are they a hybrid profile and you can align that up with game style because ultimately as a counter puncher you're, you're probably a little bit more of an endurance based athlete as a more all-court player net rusher someone who likes to go forward a lot more take the ball early you're going to be a bit more of a speed profile now it doesn't mean to say that if i'm a speed profile athlete that my endurance is really bad it just means to say that one in relation to the other is a little bit better. They both could be extremely good, um, but one's a little bit better than the other. And there is certain, uh, the tests that I use help me understand that. Uh, we like to do the change of direction test. I like the 5-10-5 personally. You've got the short change of direction, and then you're having to lengthen out the 10 meter sprint and then change back into the five. I like that for tennis because I think that's more realistic than, say, like a 505. So um, we like to, to look at change of direction speed both off left and right so that if I'm watching a player on the court and I see they just they just look a little bit slower out of their backhand corner. You know, let's let's do the 5105 to see if it's actually a physical thing where they are a little bit slower pushing back from their left to right or right to left. And then we get to kind of get a little bit more specific then with their with their plan and their training to make sure that there isn't a deficiency on one side versus the other. So, so those are the tests I like to do. I do like to do the eye test, having been in the game my whole life, played it and, and coached it both on the S&C side, but both as a, as a national coach as well on the, on the tennis side for a federation is I like the eye test to see how they move. My bias as a tennis coach was always movement, hence probably why I enjoyed the SNC so much, but you've got to see how a player moves. Are their movement patterns efficient? If they are great, now are there any limitations? And usually I'm starting to look at the the positions and shapes that they can get into with their ankles, their their hips, how loose is the T-spine, especially obviously in the preparation phase of the shot through the through the finish. Are there any limitations there? And then you can go and look at the the range of motion in those joints to see if there's a physical limitation. If it's not, then maybe it's actually just an efficiency and economy of movement on the tennis court, a movement pattern, um, technical thing that we need to work on. In US college tennis, you go on an indoor hard court, the courts are so fast, the game's getting bigger. You, you see in the classical American game style come out more with the big serve, the big forehand. So it's so vital that athletes, especially if you're bigger than you know six foot, you're six three, six four, six five, you've got to move so well. You do. I mean, it, now I, I don't think size, size obviously does matter in terms of the strengths and 
maybe some of the individual strengths or individual constraints that we all have. Um, but you've got to be a good mover regardless. I mean, I even look at like sort of Riley Apelka. He's come back from injury, but 6'10", 6'11". He's a pretty good mover for a big guy. Uh, and there's other there's other big guys I've worked with that that are good athletes and they and they have to be good movers. I don't think you can get away with playing on the pro tour anymore, potentially as a somewhat bigger guy with a massive serve and be a poor mover. Um, your serve can can take you far, but only so far. So I think for big guys, being a very, very good athlete is going to take the big man tennis to another level. And if you're a bit smaller, then yeah, you've got to have you've got different physical attributes that you have to elevate in order to counter that. So like anything, tennis is a game of matchups, a game of individual constraints, tactical strengths, and everything in between. It's a one-on-one fight out there. You know, boxing, if I'm playing a guy who's got a much bigger reach than I am, well, I'm probably going to have to tie him up and go to the body. And if I'm the one who's got the bigger reach, then I want to keep a guy at bay and I'm going to use that reach to my advantage. So, you know, that's how I look at kind of the athleticism of each athlete. The size matters in how you're building out their strengths to elevate what they do on the court. So it's all about expanding the toolbox. What tools can I use to increase my performance and sort of tailor that to the opponent as well? But as an SNC, you have on court and also in the gym uh, based exercises. Do you break that down on a day to day basis, week to week basis of what you do on the court, whether that be during practice or after practice, compared to using the dumbbells and barbells and all other athletic equipment? Yeah, so we, I mean, we have a blended program. So we're we're in the gym. If we if we're in season, right, we're still getting in the gym, um, but we are monitoring the total volume that that we're in there. Like I, I still think that in season, wherever strength that they're at, they can still be, you know, quote unquote lifting, let's say quote unquote fairly heavy, but you're probably just not doing a lot of volume, and that way you're actually preparing all that that neuromuscular connection and 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 the you know firing. Uh, firing brain to body quickly that's what you need when you're in season and then you know you're spending time in season really cleaning up and sharpening your movement movement lines that you take to the ball your awareness you know which can be which is mostly done out on the court with the ball but those are the things you have to do so it's definitely a blended program because tennis is one of the most athletic sports in the world where you need to have strength you need to have power you need to have speed you need to have mobility agility awareness you need to have good cognitive uh cognitive skills good decision making and it all has to be in 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 very small periods of time so you have to train the demands of the sport and you have to really understand those demands at a high level to then get very granular with with what those details look like within their plans but yeah i mean we're doing a blended program the guys are doing a lot of their speed change of direction acceleration deceleration workout on the tennis court because we're doing it to the distances and demands the sport requires but then we're in the gym and we're working on different shapes and positions you know my program doesn't look like probably most american um, background snc coaches backgrounds type programs where it is about a lot of the big compound lifts and getting a lot stronger in those i like to do strength and power work in all planes of motion i like to expand that range that they have if you like this word, but it looks very functional. It looks functional. They're, they're, they're applying strength. They, they're building strength, but then they're applying strength to the positions and shapes that they need to get into. Great catching up with Johnny, the associate men's tennis coach and strength and conditioning coach at the University of South Carolina. Strength and conditioning really makes up that athletic team working on various athletic pillars like speed, strength, power, and conditioning as well. So that really helps players who are coming into their freshman year. Maybe they haven't had as much uh, experience in the gym, but it really helps propel that athlete physically uh, when they make their way onto the uh, Challenger Tour or the ITF Tour, heading onto ATP and WTA level tournaments. That is a wrap for our college segment this week, Brett. If you'd like to reach out to us, email is definitely the best way to do that. The first of SEN at gmail.com, or you can even reach out to us via our social media platforms. Uh, on Instagram, Facebook, or X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, our PlayUSA podcast, which was released earlier uh, this month, just go to thefirstserve.com.au or however you listen to your podcasts. That is a wrap. We're out of time. It's back over to you, Brett. Thanks, uh, Locke. Uh, nice work. Uh, college segment will uh, return for our final show of the year. 
Uh, next uh, Monday night, and as Lachlan referenced, uh, Play USA. Uh, you can go back and listen to all the great chats with our Aussies, college coaches, those in the college fraternity, which we've uh, displayed every month uh, right through our 2023. We'll come back after the break. We're going to delve into our first serve podcast library of the past week and bring you some of the great chats. All to come, the first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to the first serve. Uh, Brett Phillips uh, with you on this uh, Monday night, one 736 on the Harcourt's open line, 0433981116 on the Temper text. We're into our second hour. Delayed start to the first serve tonight with the AFL draft. So on at 9 o'clock, we're through to 11. We bring you some of the best chats from our podcast library of the past week to uh, round out this hour after our college segment with Lachlan Puel. The push is a podcast that we started this year, our dedicated wheelchair tennis podcast. It's hosted by Tim Connolly, the manager of uh, the Hume Community Tennis Centre, of course, out at uh, Craigieburn, which is really the wheelchair hub here in Melbourne. And Heath Davidson, uh, current world number four Paralympian uh, in quad wheelchair tennis, who is a star on the global stage. They do a terrific job with our monthly podcast, uh, talking to all people in wheelchair tennis. And on this edition, which uh, dropped over the weekend, they catch up with Daniel O'Neill, who's the national lead for Tennis Australia in the wheelchair space, talking about the Aussie summit to come. And obviously, Heath also just delving into the Paralympics in Paris in uh, 2024. So I'll hand it over to Tim uh, with this part of the chat. Of course, the full version you can have a listen to at our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Go to our podcast library there and uh, you'll navigate your way to the push or wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you're consuming the SEM uh, First Serve content. You'll find uh, all the editions of the push, which we've released six this year. But over to Tim Connolly for part of the chat that was uh, dropped over the weekend. Tell us about this, you know, what, what's going on in Jan and and why this promises to be one of our biggest summers and how the draw sizes, you know, and why is this going to be so big? Yeah, it's really exciting. Obviously, the the AO um, draw sizes for the quads has increased to 16. So we've got 16 men, 16 women and 16 quads coming out. So that's super exciting for the, for the AO and for Grand Slams across the world. But the, the knock-on effect is that, uh, we've applied to the ITF to get bigger draw sizes for lead-in events. And, you know, we want more players to know that they're able to get directly into the draws. And so they've agreed to to extend the draws outside of what their normal regulations are, which is uh, really exciting. So we've got 32 men, 32 women and 24 quads at both events. And that just gives those international players surety of being able to get into both events so they can plan their Aussie summer and and know that they're in and, and come out, out here and enjoy a big summer out here with us. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see more players um, out here than ever before. The interest since we've opened up entries has been unbelievable. And, um, yeah, it, it all points towards a really exciting summer of, of wheelchair tennis. And I think it's important just also for everyone to know just – just the investment that Tennis Australia make into these events. So just, you know, for the players that do come out, um, you know, what 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 entitlements do they get to? Are the Tennis Australia's helping them with their travel, et cetera? Yeah, so all the, all the AO players who get in the main draw get a get a travel grant. And then there's, uh, we're also doing a, a travel grant to both the, the lead-in events. Um, you know, they get a lot of um, food and things paid for at the AO and the lead-in events and, um, so a lot of these things help them to be able to travel. Obviously, it's a huge cost to come out here with flights and things, and and we want to make sure that we get the best players out here and, and competing um, at our events just to be able to showcase it in the best way possible. So we have, and 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 the wheelchair, the Victorian Wheelchair Tennis Open um, kicks off on, on January the 8th. Then we also have the Melbourne Wheelchair Tennis Open, which starts on the 14th, and that's the Melbourne, which is the Super Series, which is the week before the Australian Open has has been extended to six days. It's really exciting as well, like to be able to go to six days, and I think that matches all the other Super Series around the world. So that'll allow that, especially with the bigger draw sizes, to be able to spread out those first couple of rounds, and and um, you know will help the players with their preparation for the AO as well. What are some of the other initiatives that that have been introduced this year for the for the players to enjoy? 
Well, we'll uh, well obviously we're going to extend the uh, the amount of match courts with the obviously with the um, amount of um, players we'll have out here, so that'll help us with our scheduling. Um, uh, other um, developments will um, be will um, add ball changes in line with the AO, so the players are able to get used to what the conditions will be like at the AO. Um, we're also bringing in equal prize money for men, women, and quads at both events. So that's that's really exciting for us to be able to offer. So no matter what the um, number of players that come out in each of the draws, um, we'll guarantee across our entire summer that it'll be equal prize money. Whichever, whatever round you make, um, the prize money will be same whether you're a, a man, woman, or a quad. So that's that's really exciting as well. Yeah. And, um, mate, I was trying to lead you to um, in between the two events this year, between the Victorian Wheelchair Tennis and Melbourne Wheelchair Tennis Open. Yeah, that's, that's another exciting piece, I think, um, and, a, and a piece that I think the players are going to love. So we're going to try and do some off, off-site activities um, on that middle Saturday to give the players a bit of a taste of Melbourne while they're here. You know, usually it's all tennis, 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 but to be able to, you know, get them off-site to whether it's the cricket or, or the zoo or maybe down to St Kilda, um, we'll offer those opportunities to the players to, um, to give them that quintessential taste of Melbourne. So, so he, and I guess when you travel, mate, sometimes you just feel like you go from the hotel to the court, right? So, you think that's an issue that the players will enjoy? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's only one tournament, other tournament in the world that does something like that, and that's French Riviera. Their Super Series, they um, they on the weekend of the finals for the players that are out and are competing, they um, put on buggy rides, or you can go skydiving and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. So they go above and beyond for the players over there. Um, which is cool. And it's just really cool to see that um, Tennis Australia um, are investing in some stuff for us and making it enjoyable like they do for the Able Bods. It's, I can't thank Daniel enough for being on the forefront of pushing for us and trying to help us out, which is which is amazing. I know that you know we're lucky enough at Hume to work closely with with Daniel and the team at Tennis Australia. And also, you know, now as we get closer look forward to not only delivering the tournament, but just catching up with all the players. Like, so mate, you know, like I know you see them, I guess, intermittently throughout the year. Like how fun is it then to have them actually back here in Australia on your own patch? Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's one of those things, obviously we see each other a lot. We've, I form friendships, really good friendships with a few players and just to have them at home, like they all come to my house for barbecues and, like hang out and just being able to take him out for dinners and stuff like that. Whereas like when I'm away over in like Europe and stuff like that, I don't know any really cool places to go or anything like that. So it's always cool to just be in your backyard and be able to give suggestions. And obviously I've got my car. So if we need to give people lifts and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of time with, with Rob and Rob um, actually last year came to a Netflix premiere with me when they, um, did the next uh, Netflix premiere for the the tennis show, which was cool. Um, and just really cool to be able to give people some of those experiences that they might not get at home because I guess down here I do have a little bit of like, I guess you would say, I, I'd say I'm probably like a W grade celebrity. So like not very high up on the rung, but I do get invited. It's pretty cool to be <laughs> able to take some friends and stuff and show people how we do it at home. And I think personally, I think we do it probably the best in the world when it comes to um, the Australian Open especially, it's my favourite tournament of the year um, and I believe it's probably close to 95% of everybody else's favourite tournament. You, Tim, down at Hume, you do a bloody great job, man. We're there for two weeks. It doesn't get stale, which I think was really one of the things that everyone was worried about when we found out that we were doing two weeks out there. Keep it entertaining. There's always things to do. You have the big open day, I believe, when we're down there and the big, like, everyone comes down and watch. It's one of the only tournaments that we actually get fans at, which is crazy when you think about it. Like Craigie Burns, not exactly in the center of town. So it's pretty cool to see that people come out and watch wheelchair tennis. And I think that's just got a lot to do with the promotion and stuff that you guys do. So thank you for that. And um, we love you guys down there, man. And the facility is amazing. There's lots of courts. Club rooms are big. There's about 15 disabled bathrooms, which is always a bonus when you've got a massive wheelchair tournament. And yeah, the food's great. It's like home-cooked meals every day. It's amazing. 
I know that particularly with the meals that that with athletes, as long as the athletes are fed well, then usually they're they're happy, right? True that. Just looking ahead, that we do have the Victorian Wheelchair Tennis Open, which starts on January the eighth. And you know, Dan, look, one of the things we have trying to do is align. So for the players that each at the AO they start at eleven, so the play each day starts at eleven and. Um, we always in the afternoon, sort of from five o'clock, try to have some sort of showcase after work match for people to come and enjoy. Like, mate, are you able to give us an insight on, you know, the level of player that we can expect, particularly um, leading into the Australian Open? Yeah, look, I, I don't think we'll miss anyone in the top 20, that's for sure. I think, you know, all the best players are, are planning to come out to Australia. And uh, I think, you know, we we are able to, showcase especially those you know after work time slots um you know some of the best doubles in the world which is fantastic you know you're going to see your takita odors your elfie hewitts your gordon reeds um stefan Hudays, and then on the women's side your dita de groots your anique van coots um yui kimiji and then obviously the quads you got Niels, sam heath davidson obviously starring in that time slot so um we we get the best um, players in the world out here and it's just an unbelievable showcase of the sport and and we just want more people if they can pop down and have a look and um see the event it'd be really uh great to see them there heath what what are your goals mate you, you took out the victorian wheelchair tennis open last year like what what would be what you know what what are you looking forward to in the summer and what what are your goals look other than taking out that first tournament mate the rest of my aussie summer was garbage so um <laughs> pretty happy that i got the first win of the year last year but um this year might be a bit different with the bigger draw sizes obviously we may get neil sam guy assassin and all that out for the first one um if that's the case just hopefully i can play some good tennis but honestly man i'm just next year's for me it's a lead into the Paralympics. I just want to enjoy myself and play as much as I can to try and get myself into the best position that I can for the Paralympics um, being in September next year or late August. So just going to get out there, man, put my best effort forward. And if that means that I can play in a final or two or whatever, then so be it. Just really, really keen to back playing on home soil in um my favorite state in the world and um just yeah keen i know and, and look you just touched on that there the it's the paralympics year and which is a massive year for um paralympians and um both the victorian and the melbourne i know are, are qualifying events standards are you able to let us know that is the australian open also a qualifying are they all qualifying events for paralympics and and he, yep. what are the requirements for people to be, you know, for the players to actually qualify for the Olympics? I'm sure a lot of people will be interested to know. So qualification period for us runs 12 months prior to cutoff date. So cutoff date was the day after Wimbledon this year or start date was the day after Wimbledon, which sucks for me because I made the Wimbledon final. So that five, 600 mm. points would have been real handy. Um but yeah, so within a 12-month period, you accumulate ranking points and then those ranking points go towards your ranking, which gives you the seeds for the Paralympics. And that finishes, that will finish the day after Wimbledon. So as of the day after Wimbledon, they will be the seeds for the Paralympics and you go from there. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty handy. What ranking do you have to have to qualify? So doubles for the quads is going to be pretty hard this year due to the fact that there's only one team currently that auto qualifies because for the Paralympics, we have 16 players in the quad draw, um, 12 automatic entries, and then we give four wild cards out. So the four wild cards usually go to players to make doubles teams. But even if that's the case, we're still only going to have four or five teams. So I know the IPC and the ITF have been talking and, um, we're hoping and fingers crossed that they are going to award extra wild cards so we can have a full double straw, which has never happened in the Paralympics before. So that'd be really cool. So um, potentially myself could have Finn Broadbent or Jean, somebody like that, come over and um, play doubles with me, which would be pretty handy because, I mean, I've only played two Paralympics and I've medaled in both of them. So I'd hate to not have the opportunity to do it again. Obviously this time, I guess it'd be a little bit different because I don't have my best mate deal on the court with me, but yeah. um, more than happy to, more than happy and just super keen to be out there with whoever competing for a medal. It's at Roland Garros this year, which is really cool. So 
Roland Garros have, are going to host it. So it'll be on clay, which would be unreal. And um, yeah, it'll just be cool. Hopefully we can get some more players in the Aussie team because currently it's just myself. Yeah. I know Ben Weeks is uh, working really hard to try and get some ranking points to um, get himself automatic entry. So you've been listening into the Push, our dedicated wheelchair tennis podcast, part of our library of podcasts at The First Serve. So the full version, you can go back and have a listen at our website, thefirstserve.com.au, or wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. And you'll be able to listen to the full version. And all six editions that have dropped in 2023, and the Push will be back in 2024. We'll come back. Uh, Aussies Only is another one of our podcast Darren Parkin with a really special guest we'll bring you that next here on the first serve welcome back to the first serve your home of tennis uh, every Monday night on SCN in our 15th year of uh, doing this program and uh, back for a 16th next year our second last show of the year we'll be back at our regular time slot of eight o'clock eastern next Monday night following Australia's uh, Davis Cup campaign coming up this week we start with a cutthroat quarterfinal against the Czech Republic and catch that on the Nine Network on uh, Wednesday night into the early hours of Thursday morning and hopefully Australia can uh, keep progressing and go one better in uh, 2023. A pretty stable lineup under uh, Leighton Hewitt over the last uh, 12 months. So we know the Australian Davis Cup passion is going to be there and hopefully that can propel us to... Uh, claiming the Davis Cup for the first time in a little while. So in this last hour of the program, as I mentioned, we're showcasing some of our podcast library. We've just heard the push. In addition to this show every Monday night, we have a whole range of tennis podcasts you can listen to. Play USA, dedicated to the college space, the grind, all about the, of course, Challenger and ITF circuits and uh, the people within that, and the next edition with uh, Roddy Reynolds and Alex Osborne will be dropping this week. Crunching the numbers, all the data analytics, the uh, latest edition, of course, was out a couple of weeks ago with Stephen Huss and Chris Tons. Match of my career, talking to an Aussie about their favourite match of the past. Uh, paddle powwow, all in the paddle space, which is growing here in Australia. The junior journey for those invested in the pathway development space. And our state podcast, The SA Scene, Tassie Talk, and Tennis in Queensland, all the last editions of the year will be dropping in the next uh, couple of weeks. Also, we have Aussies Only, which was the first of our uh, podcasts that we released to delve into in a bit more depth that we can't always do on this show, into the people at the heartbeat of Australian tennis, whether it be a player, coach, administrator. We've talked to a variety of people across the journey. Darren Parkin is the host. His guest for the edition that dropped in the last uh, few days was Kylie Moulds. Now, Kylie, of course, played the game, WTA ranking around 200, went into coaching pretty young, left the sport, went into another sporting uh, sphere and has come back to tennis where she's doing a uh, PhD. I want to pick up a little bit of the chat here. Darren and Kylie Moulds, the full version you can listen to through our website, thefirstserve.com.au or wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Google, Spotify, wherever you get them. But here is Darren Parkin with Kylie Moulds, part of the chat on Aussies Only over the last week. I've actually only recently, within the last 12 months, come back to, to tennis, and that has been a lot to do with um, finishing my PhD and exploring uh, coaching and really coaching, researching coaching has brought me back to tennis. And um, I've found you know, the last 12 months it's really been Unbelievable how everything has aligned. Um, been working fairly closely with Nicole Pratt at Tennis Australia in the Coach Connect program, and also here at um, I'm in Canberra currently, so at Tennis ACT with Alison By and the crew here, and really enjoying it. So I'm very lucky um, to be back in tennis, and um, yes, yeah, certainly had an interesting career pathway um, today. We had uh, Nicole on a, a few months ago, so if anyone wants to listen back to that, they can uh, jump on the uh, on the website and dig back through the the podcast. But did you feel that inevitably you would always sort of come back to tennis when you did make the break? Was it a, a case of well, I'll I'll see where this takes me, or did you feel that there was an itch that one day would have to be scratched against? Yeah, for sure. Um, I always knew that when I wasn't involved in tennis, there was something missing, and I was looking for it, and I tried to. I tried a number of different things, so I guess trying to find that that gap um, or uh, I guess that that part of me that was really, um, yeah, just wasn't there. And I actually became, um, I, I really did become a recluse. Um, I was really, found myself quite introverted. I stayed away from a lot of 
or anything really related to tennis, um, a lot of people related to tennis. And um, I, yeah, really wasn't myself until recently until I've come back into it. And I guess that's, um, you know, such a great platform and it's such a great community and I really did miss that. So I I think I knew that there was something there that was missing um, and it took me, it certainly took me a while to find it. Um, but now that I'm back into it, it's one of the best things I've ever done in a long while. So I'm very happy to be back. How was the adjustment from playing to coaching, especially when you were that young? Um, you'd obviously had a bit of experience um, on the tour, uh, which would have obviously helped, but but coaching at a, at a pretty young age, and I think you were based overseas for a while, would have come with some challenges? Yeah, yeah. I was very lucky when I was playing. I had a lot of great mentors um, at Tennis SA who um, were very, um, very important people and very important coaches to me. There was um, Graham Neville, Roger Tizer was there. You know, some of you might remember Um these guys and they were great mentors um anthony lane i mean there's so many of them even darren kale was there at some point and they really um i guess supported me and i never felt excluded in terms of um developing my coaching so i was kind of very lucky um and some of the coaches that i'm mentoring now um don't quite when we we're finding that there's a gap there um where I guess I was, while I was playing, I was coaching as well. Um, so I was probably really coaching back when I was 14, 15 and doing some work. And I remember doing uh, work experience when I was in high school and I would do work experience at Tennis SA. So, um, you know, I would kind of shadow the state coaches then. Um, so as a 14, 15-year-old, I was doing that. So um, it wasn't necessarily a difficult transition. Um, I, I did spend some time in New York Um as I, when I was first coaching and that was, I was working at a country club. Um, and I guess my development pathway, I always wanted to make sure that I would learn to coach at all levels. Um, so I, um, you know, I was coaching beginners, I was coaching adults, and then I was lucky enough to work with um, some of the talented juniors um, in the state program at Tennis SA with Luke Seville and Alex Bolt and, and those guys. And it was probably one of my best coaching experiences. Um I think probably the toughest time was working in the AIS program because, um, you know, that was working with some older players and then I needed to be travelling with them so it would be on the road nine, ten months of the year. So that was certainly very tricky. Um, so I, I I don't think I necessarily found the transition from playing to coaching difficult. I was very, very lucky in that sense. Um, I feel like, yeah, I just... I had a lot of great mentors and support that helped me make that transition. So, yeah, certainly very lucky in that regard. Uh, you mentioned being ranked around 200 in the world and, and the challenges of making a professional living. I know a lot of the guys at the top end, the, the guys and girls in the top 20, often talk about players around 200, 250, saying, does the sport do enough to allow them to consistently travel when you've got coaches and physios and accommodation and all of that sort of stuff? Do you feel the game has developed enough that more people can can make a living or is there still a black hole if you will around that mark yeah look it's it's certainly really interesting i was watching a documentary um a few days ago ago um from the lta where they where they do talk about you know that that level um i do feel like it has changed or it is changing um there's certainly a lot of money as we know you know for the top 100 players now it was never um like that when i was playing i feel like that's making a gradual change um but i also do feel that it's certainly very valuable if um players can upskill in other areas as well so whether it be you know coaching doing you know some kind of a degree i feel like i guess that dual pathway or that dual career pathway can certainly be very important because you know, as we know we're not going to be um, playing sport forever or playing tennis forever. So um, I think it's um, it's on the way. It's it's on the way um, to making it, it easier um, for a lot of players that are ranked around, you know, probably 200 to 500. Um, but it's still, there's a big gap. You know, there's a lot of money, um, you know, for the top echelon as it is for the, for the lower le- levels. A lot of your studies, from what I can understand, centred around behavioural science and psychology and things like that. Were there some fundamentals, I'm sure there were with the PhD, but some fundamentals you learnt along the way thinking 
geez, if I understood the human psyche when I was playing or when I was younger or when I was coaching or whatever it may be, I would have done X, Y, and Z. Was there a particular eye-opener that, that sort of came through that? Yeah, absolutely, and that's a, a really great question. Um, a lot of my research has been uh, looking at, I guess, the biopsychosocial element, uh, which is a number of different layers that can have an effect on athlete development and human development. So it's not necessarily what's happening within the individual. So that can be more of a psychological factor, such as you know motivation. It's the next layer around the individual as well. So it could be, you know, what? how are my parents or my coaches affecting the way I behave on the court or, you know, what's happening at school that's having an impact on, you know, my training intensity or what about, you know, how how is my parents' economic status, you know, affecting um, my ability to get to tennis or um, to afford coaching? So for me, what I used um, in my research was yeah, this multi-layered um, approach and looking at, uh, I guess, athlete development through that lens. And it certainly really was an eye-opener because I, I really felt that, you know, I wish I'd understood um, a lot of things, a lot of these different factors that had an influence on me as a player and as a coach. And then, you know, why when I was coaching young kids, um, why was I not looking a little bit deeper into, you know, they might come out into the court and they'd be really um, upset about something and I would just be like, no, you know, get over it. We've got to train hard today instead of really getting to know the person. So um, I learned a lot about, um, you know, the coaching climate and the caring climate and um, it's certainly more about human development than it is. Um, so we, should, we need to be as coaches putting um, the human side of things first before the athlete, and that's really important, you know, for long-term uh, well-being and development as well. Collie Moulds, a special guest on Aussies Only with Darren Park in the full version, thefirstserve.com.au. Go to our podcast library. It's a really good chat across a half hour. We just wanted to bring you a little bit of that tonight. We'll come back and wrap up the show. Well, a couple of hours has come and gone pretty quick, as it always does on the first serve every uh, Monday night. Thank you for sticking around. A little bit later tonight, following the uh, AFL uh, draft, and of course, if you miss any of our shows uh, live, you can catch up on uh, all our shows. They're all archived, podcasted at thefirstserve.com.au or subscribe to the first serve. You'll get all our content tonight and every other Monday night and all our podcast library. There's plenty dropping every single week. Whether you're an Apple uh, podcast subscriber, Google, Spotify, whatever podcast platform you're on, you can listen to the first serve to your heart's content. There is uh, plenty there. So back for our final show next Monday night of the year, 8 o'clock Eastern. Plenty of special guests. And uh, fingers crossed for the Aussies in the Davis Cup this week. They can put their best foot forward. Starting with the Czech Republic on Wednesday night. We'll be all glued to that. Thank you for your company tonight. Hit them well during the week. The weather's getting uh, a little nicer around the country as we head towards summer. So a great chance to get out and play the beautiful game that we love. We'll uh, catch you 8 o'clock next uh, Monday night. The first serve, your home of tennis.